Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. If you got your Bible, Luke 24, I'm going to read uh, 22 verses. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk. You know what's beautiful is that regardless of you're 70 years old, maybe you're retired, maybe you're 50, maybe you're full-time business, maybe you're 20 or you're 12, uh, I love the fact that God's Word is so available, that God has the ability, as someone gets up here, boldly proclaims the Word of God, that it has the ability to meet you where you're at. Someone once said that I read God's Word, and uh, I, I get a word ready. I don't think that preachers get a word ready. I think God's Word gets everybody ready. When I read this book, it gets me ready. And so this morning, we're going to read a few verses. Today, if you're new to church, uh, I want to talk to you, if it's okay, for a few moments on the power of returning. The power of returning. And uh, hopefully we'll laugh a little bit today, especially because the Cowboys, we didn't have the best season this year. So we need a good laugh. Amen? I'm a Cowboys fan. Don't shoot me. Um, uh, I, I'm actually, uh, I want to say, I'm just glad to be here. Almost didn't make it. My flight got delayed. I actually had to hop in my car last minute drive 140 miles in about an hour and a half, don't judge me, and uh, flew out of a small airport to make it down here, and I beat the odds all day yesterday, I felt like I was Tom Brady, you know what I'm saying, like all day yesterday beating the odds, they said I wouldn't be able to make it, I checked every flight in America, couldn't get here till like right now, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but we found a flight, and uh, the Patriots won, and I'm here, Amen. Cowboys will rise again, though. Can I get an amen? amen? Pastor Dustin's angry in the front row. He's a Seahawks fan. Have you guys been praying for your pastor lately? He's still a Seahawks. We'll keep going. Um, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to begin reading this morning. And I want to talk to you for a few moments today. If you're like, Mark, why should I pay attention? Well, I think God can speak to you. And ultimately, uh, my, my philosophy on ministry is that we don't just come to learn about God. We come to experience Him. I think that we do learn about him, but ultimately if all we do is want to study the Bible, um, I don't believe that preachers are supposed to just be Bible commentators. I think we're supposed to be Bible navigators, that we actually navigate people into the, t the pages of the Bible so that we can experience what they experienced. I don't believe the Bible was written to tell us what God has done. I believe it was actually written to tell us what God will do. And today we're going to experience the same power, same presence, Someone in here, you need a miracle in your physical body. God told me specifically, I just want to warn you up front because what's going to happen. Someone that has arthritis in their body, God is going to heal arthritis today. He showed me a man that had a really bad spine that was going to get healed today. And he actually even told me there was someone that had like a, a either like, an, like a, a, what's it called when a, when a tooth gets like um, infected? It's like a abscessed, whatever it's called, incest. I don't know what it is. Um, that's not the right, that's what I was going to say. That's why I referred to the crowd it was like, who wants to be a millionaire? Like, okay, we're going to do a 50-50. Uh, we're going to phone a friend. I don't know what it's called. Um, but uh, God's going to heal a, a tooth like that's infected in their mouth. And you're like, Mark, why would God do like a, heal a tooth? Who cares? Do you realize that if something matters to you, it matters to God? And this morning, God's going to do some great things for his people. You got your Bible, Luke 24. Let's read. This is right after the resurrection. This is day three. If you've been in the church world, you know what happens on the third day. Uh, our God comes back to life. But be before he's, he came back, full widespread knowledge of his resurrection, 
there was two guys that walked on a road out of Jerusalem, seven miles, and were heading to a small town called Emmaus. We're going to pick up reading now. Verse 13, chapter 24. Now behold, two of the men that were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles. How many miles? Please, I like when you talk back to me today, so feel free to say amen or go ahead or preach, uh, whatever you got to say today. And it says, and they talked together of all the things that had happened, Jesus dying, Jesus being crucified, all the crazy things happening in Jerusalem. So it was while they conversed that Jesus himself drew up and came near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with each other? As you walk along and are sad. Say sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas, we now know why he's sad. Come on. Cleopas. Cleo, we'll keep going. He answered and said to him, are you the only person, stranger, in Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened here in these days? I love Jesus. How many of God has a sense of humor? He goes, what things? What things? They said to him, the things concerning Jesus and Nazareth. He was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers just delivered him to be condemned to death. They crucified him. But we were hoping, say it with me, hoping. Hope's a powerful thing. We were hoping that this was the God that was going to redeem power to Israel. And, and indeed, on the third day, it's been three days since all these things have happened, and, and there was actually certain women, a part of our company, who arrived to his tomb early, astonished us, and when they did not find his body, they came to us saying that they had seen a vision of an angel who actually said that Jesus was still alive. And certain of those who were with us went out from the tomb and found it just the way that the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not that Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus himself expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The world's greatest Bible study. Then they drew near to the village that they were going. He indicated that he was going to keep on going further. But they're like, stop, stay with us. They constrained him, saying, abide with us. It is towards the evening. The day is far spent. Jesus went in to stay with them, almost finished. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the, in the bread. wasn't in and out. Come on. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. How many know that food can wake you up? Their eyes were opened, and they, they knew that it was Jesus. Then he, David, copper-filled it in front of them. He vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn? So they rose up early that very morning and returned. They returned. They returned to Jerusalem and found 11, the 11, and all those that were with the eleven gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told him the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them at the breaking of the bread. 
Let's pray this morning. I'm going to talk for a few minutes. We're going to have a good time. God's going to encounter his people if you believe it, church. Say amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the privilege being at one of the great churches in all the state of Texas, which is saying a lot. I invite you today, Holy Spirit, in a state with good barbecue, in a state with a good football stadium, good football team, that, Lord, you would do something off the charts today in church. Lord, we need you in a vibrant way, in a real way, a tangible way. I pray whether this is our first time at church or we come every single week, that, Lord, you would feed us, that you would lead us, you would guide us and inspire us. In Jesus' name we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. We invite you, Holy Spirit. And everybody said a good old-fashioned amen. Thank you so much for playing. Can you give me a hand clap today? Come on. Appreciate that. You ever been in a situation that was out of control? You ever been in a car accident? Who's been in an accident before? I took my daughter ice skating this last year, and uh, there was a moment that I just went out of control. Uh, luckily, I only ran over three or four smaller ladies. Um, wasn't that embarrassing. And fortunately, they all went to our church, so that was fun. Um, I've been out of control before. Maybe you had an accident. I've had all kinds of accidents. I've had accidents when I was, like, running. You ever ran before, tripped? Uh, no, just me. Um, tough crowd. Uh, I've had running accidents. I've had uh, skating accidents. I've had snowboard accidents, biking, running, you name it. My wife had a rollerblade accident. Who remembers rollerblades? That's another message. Rest in peace. I... Uh, I had a job, I was 20 years old, and I remember, uh, nothing probably worse than having a car accident. Car accidents are awful. Some of you have been in car accidents before. And I remember I was 20 years old, got in this car accident, and the only thing worse than a car accident is when you are in a company vehicle. You're 20 years old, it's snowing outside, and you know that you are driving too fast. I was 20 years old, never forget this, it was a snowy day in Idaho, I had this big-time job when I was 20. I was the director of all youth basketball. And so I had a little S10 pickup truck. It was two-wheel drive. Why? I don't know. Uh, but I'm driving this two-wheel drive pickup truck in the snow in Boise, Idaho. Never forget this. And uh, I'm just kind of driving like a 20-year-old male and uh, whatever that means. And too fast. I remember coming around this corner, <clears throat> and all of a sudden the vehicle just went out of control. I never forget this. And uh, did like a, like a full spin and uh, actually hit a mailbox that belonged to someone. That was government property. Government property. And literally, I, send this, I sent this 4 by 4 mailbox home to be with the Lord. I hit this thing so hard, it broke it in half. It flew. It was like someone punted this mailbox. And I've never been in a situation where you're out of control. Something happened that you didn't desire to happen. And immediately, you have that feeling in the bottom of your stomach that you're kind of sick about it. You're sad. You're scared. And any other S word that you can think of, sick, sad, scared, whatever. And, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, I have a couple of options here. Now, I don't know if you've seen Disney movies. I have two kids, and so I've seen Disney movies. And I, uh, I had a moment that I hit this. I'm 20 years old, and here's a story. No one is around. No one saw what had happened. So I get out of the car like anyone would do, and I check the damage. And literally, to my surprise, even I hit this thing so hard, the bumper did not even have a scratch on it. I'm like, there is a God in heaven. No one needs to know about this. And so literally, cronk, good cronk and bad cronk are on my shoulders, 
And Badcrong's like, no one's here, no one knows, the vehicle's not damaged, keep it rolling. And I'm like, I'm a Christian, right? So I'm like, you better report this. Why would you even entertain a thought of hitting and running? And so I, you know, I listen to the Holy Spirit because I'm a Christian. And I, walk, I do the walk of shame to this guy's, like, mobile home. He's, his house is, like, miles back on this property. So I, I walk into this, his house, knock on the door. I said, sir, I'm sorry. Uh, I was driving, you know, conservatively. And I uh, hit your mailbox, and uh, your, your mailbox is no longer with us. And uh, we walked out there, and I'll never forget this. You're like, Mark, where does this have to do with anything? I'm going somewhere. We walk out there, and I'll never forget that uh, as I'm walking out there, sick, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm going to lose my job, I'm in trouble, I, I destroyed government property, there's a mailman coming after me, you know. My dad's a mailman, I can say that joke. Uh, I, I walk, and uh, <clears throat> never forget this. Uh, the, the guy that was there that owned the mailbox, he said, what's that over there in the snow? little black thing. So we walked over, and about 25 yards from the scene of the crime, uh, he points, and I look down, and he grabs it, and he pulls it out of the snow. It was my license plate. It's my license plate. License plates are IDs, right? They're like identity. They identify hit and runners. And I remember having this thought, like, God, you are so good. If I would have left the scene of the crime, I would have left my license plate in their front yard, they would have looked it up and they would have traced it to a city vehicle being driven by a 20-year-old out of control. And uh, I don't know if you've, ever, you've been there before that you've, uh, you've been in an accident, something's happened in your life, maybe your, your family, your business, something was out of control. Maybe everything's perfect in your life today. But I, I had this, this, this thought this morning, uh, I, even this week while I was praying for this, this time we were going to have together. And God began to speak to me about people that have been in situations that literally made them sad, scared, mad, disappointed. And your thought, your first thought, by the way, most human beings, our first thought when something goes bad or south is, is we want to flee. Most of us, when things don't go the way we want it to go, someone, a business partner could, like, is angry, mean to us, a boss yells at us, our first initial response is, forget you, I'm out of here. You can't fire me, I quit. Our first thought, a lot of times when things go wrong in relationships, words are exchanged that are hurtful, that are mean. Forget you. I don't need you anymore. And we burn relational bridges. We burn marriage bridges. We burn relational bridges with kids. Moms aren't talking to their daughters. Daughters aren't talking to their moms. And business even. You, you have business partners that a deal goes south and people, words are exchanged. And all of a sudden, bridges are burned. And, and maybe it's even a church background. that You went to a church and you, you put money into the church. You put energy into the church. And the church didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Maybe you met a Christian or a pastor or a leader. And they said something to you that they didn't maybe, they didn't maybe uh, perform that, that commitment that they made to you. I don't know what your, your situation is that maybe... Uh, is responsible for where maybe an area of your life is. Now, I'm not naive. I'm not saying that because uh, I'm not saying that because a bad area in your life exists that there's no good areas. I actually believe that human beings are pretty good at living with wounds. I went to a physical therapy session after I messed my knee up, blew my knee out snowboarding. I was an amazing snowboarder. I just felt like the record needed to know that. I'm just kidding. I'm preaching to myself right now. I need self-esteem. Ah. Uh, I, uh, I blew my knee out snowboarding, and I remember walking funny, and it actually starting to heal. And I went to the physical therapist, and I said, I said, I don't even know if I need to be here. 
because I'm walking fine again. And she says, you're walking wrong. So what do you mean? She says, the human body has a way that when it feels pain, it would rather heal wrong to avoid pain than to confront what's actually going on and actually recover back to the way you're supposed to be. I was reading this passage and I thought, man, who in all the Bible has a story of disappointment quite like the disciples did on the first, second, and the beginning of the third day? Can you imagine selling everything, leaving everything, following this carpenter for three years? And you see him feed crowds of 15,000 people with like a number two from, 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 from a restaurant? <laughs> Struggling. I was trying to think of that. What's, that. what's that Long John Silver's? That's what I was looking for. Couldn't find it. It was gone up there. I was like, reaching. Help. Help. I, uh. I, uh, I literally, he, he feeds crowds of 15,000. He causes lame people to walk. He preaches so good that people forget that they're hungry for three days at a time. They literally, they dedicated their entire life to following this Messiah. Peter goes, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And he dies on the cross. And everyone's like, all right, what are we going to do? It's like pinky in the brain. What are we going to do now, Brian? <laughs> Same thing we do every day, pinky. No, like, he's like, what are we going to do now that Jesus is gone? And literally, I can't even imagine, the 11, they're holding, they're holding down the fort. They haven't left Jerusalem. It's been three days, but there's still hope. Women come in, they're like, we've seen Jesus. But notice the, the apostles themselves are so discouraged. Have you ever been to a place that you're literally so sick, sad, or discouraged that you hear good news, but you don't even want to believe it? I don't want to believe that, that the best is yet to come. I don't even know if that is true anymore. The women go, we saw him. He's we saw an angel. He said he's not here. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? What? He's risen. He's risen indeed. Like, and, and they come back and they tell the apostles, and everyone's like, yeah, right. No, it's, it's, that's too good to be true. Can I just preach to someone that believed the lie that it's something's too good to be true? I want to let you know today that God is never too good to be true. We find two guys here that they get so discouraged that they actually sneak out, likely the back door scholars believe. And they go, you guys are here, it's been three days. And by the way, can we give them some credit? They, they, they waited at least three days. They weren't the guys that at the cross bounced and never came back. They actually hung out for three days hoping that maybe something might transpire. But three days later, they're like, look, nothing's happening. we got to go back to our old lives. We got, we're done. This Christianity thing, this following Jesus thing, this discipleship thing, it's over. The story is finished. The credits have rolled. we got to go back to the way things used to be. And they start heading to Emmaus. Emmaus is not a bad place, but you know what it does? It represents going back to the life that you lived before Jesus. And they're like, we're done living this Jesus-following life. And I love this because when Jesus comes back from the grave, for those of you who don't know, he did. And when he resurrects, the first people he shows himself to is women, which I think is pretty amazing. And if I was a woman today, I'd get excited about this. Because Jesus knows that even culturally in a day and age, in a time where women weren't celebrated, where women had no voice in the court of law, that women couldn't testify, and let alone, you know that most writings, especially religious writings, women were never even included. That's why it always says, 
so-and-so man, the father of so-and-so man, the father of so-and-so man. And in the Bible, you read the account of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, and it says uh, the, the husband of Rahab, the harlot. And it lists down females in the lineage of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is the only one that would include women in that day and age? And the fact that when he comes back from the grave, he goes, you know the first people I want let, to let know that I'm still alive? Hey, Gabriel, go down there and tell them I'm still alive. Tell the women first. But notice that his first main appearing, Jesus' first cameo, was not with the apostles in a room praying. It was for the two disciples that had lost hope. I got good news today for someone that Jesus isn't just interested in coming to believers. He's actually interested in those that have lost their belief. God's actually interested in proving even to the skeptics that he's still alive. So you know what he does? He finds two guys walking on the road, and in this transcendent love and compassion goes, hey guys, what are you sad about? What are you sad about? First thing I want to let you know today is there's people, God told me this, that were in the room today, that there's an area of your life that you're sad about. You know what I love about God is he loves you enough to actually be interested in those areas. What I've learned about being sad or discouraged or, or scared is oftentimes the areas that we're sick or we're sad about are areas that we have lost hope in. So you could say it this way, sickness and sadness oftentimes are associated with hopelessness. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you have two guys that they were banking all that they owned on the fact that this Jesus is going to cause Israel to become a superpower. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to become our own entity. And Jesus is literally going to be our king. And all of a sudden their king's dead. And now they're so discouraged, they're like, all we can do is go back to the way that we used to be. So they're walking on this road to Emmaus. Jesus shows up, and he goes, hey, guys, wh wh what, are you, what are you doing? What's going on? And they walk seven miles. They say it takes about two hours and 20 minutes that they're walking. And they're like, well, you don't know what happened? And Jesus is like, no, what happened? <laughs> and, and I love it. And, and they start telling, well, Jesus, he was this great prophet. He's mighty in word and deed. And he was amazing. And we thought that he, we had hoped that he was going to restore power to Israel. But he's gone. And Jesus literally goes, he goes, you fool, like, how can you be so slow? And by the way, I love what Jesus says. The thing that he critiques the most is people that are slow to believe. If we could take away something today and just say, you know, what's one characteristic that God values is people that are quick to believe the best, not suspect the worst. How many know we live in a cynical society today? I'll believe it when I, this is the cultural milieu of our day and age. I'll believe it when I, I'm going to be skeptical until they prove me wrong. I thought the court of law was that you're innocent until proven. No lawyers in this church. I've noticed that, that these two disciples walking discouraged along the road, Jesus begins to talk to them, and they didn't recognize Jesus. And it goes on, and it says in verse 27, it says that Jesus, after he critiques their, their doubt, he says, beginning with Moses, Jesus begins to describe every scripture in the Bible, the Old Testament, that referred to himself. Can you imagine? I want to like, if, I'm sure there's like a replay theater in heaven. It's like sports centers, you know what I'm saying? Like we're going to watch the highlights of Luke 24, verse, verse 7. And, it, and, and I, I can't wait to see this footage because Jesus himself is telling them who he is through the Old Testament. 
He's like, you know when you read the book, of, you, know, you know Genesis, guys? You know, okay, I know you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but listen. Jesus is the creator. Actually, eventually someone's going to write that in him is life, and the life was the light of men. You don't know this yet, but someone's going to eventually write, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He was the creator in Genesis chapter 1. Moses tells us not only was he the creator, he was the second Adam. And you know what? Adam messed up. He ate fruit he shouldn't have ate. Started uh, Macintosh. Kidding. Think about it. Um, you know, he took a bite, and it caused all of humanity to fall. Guess what? There's, and just because Adam sinned and Eve sinned, one man's disobedience caused all men to be cursed. Well, this Jesus' obedience caused all men to be blessed. Then he goes through Exodus. He's like, hey, you know, you read Exodus. Guess who Jesus is? He is the Passover lamb. Guess you read through Leviticus. Guess who's the high priest? Jesus. And literally it says he went through all of Moses' writings, begins to go through the prophets even, saying, you know how you read Isaiah? Jesus is the suffering servant. You remember Jeremiah? You know, you know remember Jeremiah was the weeping prophet? Jesus is the weeping prophet. Remember the last book, Malachi? It says the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That is Jesus. And he literally gives these guys a Bible study on the road, and it says this. They didn't recognize his appearance, but they still had their hearts burning because of his voice. You know what I believe? We have a, we have a little baby right now who's being weaned, or she just, just has been weaned. And I've learned this, that when you wean a child, you don't take everything away right away. You know what I believe Jesus was doing? He was weaning his disciples from having to see his physical form to actually believing his voice. So they couldn't recognize him, but they still recognized his voice. And their hearts are burning in their chest. And they sit down, and I, I have an imagination, maybe some of you do too, and uh, that was offensive. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I have this imagination, but can you imagine he sits down, he gets the bread. They still don't know him. Two hours later, they still don't know it's Jesus. So they sit down. I'm almost done. They sit down. Jesus grabs the bread. And I imagine it probably likely being him praying the same prayer, using the same tone, the same voice inflections, the same cadence, and literally prays maybe the same prayer he prayed when he multiplied the bread and the fish. You ever seen a movie that they do a phrase in the beginning of a movie? And at the end of the movie, they say it again, and the person realizes this is the same person. Oh my gosh, I'm dating Batman. Like... This is what's happening here in Luke 24. Is he says, give me the bread. And he starts praying. And all of a sudden, Cleopas, why are you laughing? That's mean. He opens his eyes, looks over at his buddy, his unknown buddy. And he's like, this sounds familiar. You think you know what I'm thinking. And literally as the light bulb comes on, they look up, they see him, and Jesus smiles. Then he's gone. And they're like, stupid, stupid, stupid. Marsha, Mar like, like, how? How did we walk two hours, seven miles? He was teaching us like no one's ever taught us other than Jesus. We haven't heard someone teach that good since Jesus. He kind of looked like Jesus. How do we not know it was him? And the Bible says that immediately at that very hour, they said our hearts burned, and it says they immediately had a moment that they said, we can't be here anymore. 
Notice it doesn't say they had, they had to sleep on it. Look, he's alive. Let's sleep on it and let's decide whether we want to serve God or not. Let's stay in Emmaus a little bit longer. Can I just let you know, if your Emmaus represents sacrificing the will of God for your life, the moment you encounter Jesus, you want to get out of it. I don't want to stay here another day. It says that very hour they said we're going back. Can you imagine everybody that saw them walking on the road? And 15 minutes later, they see him running back. What do you guys, I just said hi to you. Why are they running back? We got to go back. I can't imagine them running. I almost titled this message, Running in the Dark. Because it was dark. And these guys were so out of their mind. Can you imagine? You thought all hope was lost. And all of a sudden, you know in your knower beyond the shadow of a doubt. Not only is he alive, he is, he is risen from the dead. And they're like out of their hearts, beating out of their chest. Tears are streaming down their, their face. I can only imagine them running the entire seven miles saying, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. People saying, where are you going, Clee? He's alive. And they show up to Jerusalem and they, they're like, where are the disciples? Let me make a point here right, right now is I believe that when you have a real God encounter with your life, the first thing that you want to do is you want to start to live your life with disciples. Because when you see how good God is, all you want to do is be around people that can help lead you to how good he is. They go, look, by the way, I'm in Texas, I'm in the Bible Belt, so I know this. We have a lot of people that believe, but there's a lot of people that never make a decision to belong. And I want to I make this point. The first thing they did when they discovered that Jesus is alive is, is they said, we're not staying outside of God's will. We're going to live right smack dab in the middle of God's will. And in order to do that, i got to get to two things. The, the, Jerusalem, which represents the church, and i got to get to the disciples. And so they show up to Jerusalem. They get with the disciples. And can you imagine they're out of breath? Come on, we all would be. They just ran seven miles in Tevas. You know what I'm saying? Like Birkenstocks. They show up. Seven miles later, they're dripping with sweat. And literally, Peter, like, just can you imagine them, like, bombarding into this room? He's alive. He's alive. Do you know what I believe? The message has never changed. What was their message then that's still our message now? He's alive. He's alive. Do you know that Christianity wasn't thought through by these brilliant intellectuals that have Harvard Law degrees and IQs that are off the charts? Do you know why there's more people that are Christians today than any other world religious belief? It's because there was 11 dudes actually 120 of them, that had an eyewitness account of Jesus coming back from the grave. Do you know that it wasn't Jesus' teaching? It was actually his resurrection that sent people to the streets. It wasn't his teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been a lot of good teachers over the years. What makes Jesus different than any other religious teacher is the fact that he backed his words up by coming back from the dead. Well, other people have risen from the dead, haven't they? As the music musicians could come forward. Yes, they have. But I'll make a point that when Lazarus came back from the dead, he died again. When the widow's son of man came back from the dead, died again. 
when Elijah raised the dead, little, little, uh, the, wife, the servant's son, that little boy eventually died again. Jesus is the only one that's ever come back from the grave and said, I'm not going back. I'm not coming back. And what I want to do today, I want to close with this thought, is I believe there's power. And here's the deal. Everyone in this room is probably in a good place in an area of your life. But I would be so bold to say, because I'm a human being, and I'm an okay human being. And I know that even in my own personal life, there's areas at times that want to start to head back to Emmaus. I just, I don't know if I want to keep believing God in this area. I don't, want, I don't know if I want to believe that God can restore this relationship. I don't know if I can keep believing God that he'll actually heal me in this area that I'm sick. I don't know. I've been a Christian for like 15, 16 years. I don't know if I'll ever be set free in this area of my mind. Can I just let you know that everyone in this room has something in common? That there's an area in our life that we've retreated to Emmaus in. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, listen to me. Fulfillment in life comes in really four things. If you want to write these down, this is where I land the plane, I'm done. Four things I believe really quick, is the, is, the, is the disciples started really living, these two fallen disciples start living, when number one, you make a decision to believe again. Number one, if you're taking notes, what's the key to returning in every area of your heart? Remember Revelation says, I have one thing against you, you've left your first love. How do you return to your first love? The way that we return to God is always through believing. I believe that God, you're still good. My life's been bad, but don't, don't fool yourself. A bad life does not disprove how good God is. Bad circumstances don't disprove how, how, how good God is. Well, why would you say that's me? No, it's not, because the moment you start believing that God is good, you'll never live a good life if you have a bad belief in God. And I promise you, when you start seeing God big, and you start seeing God good, and you start believing that he has good things in store for you, You'll start seeing, listen to me, you can actually believe your way into a better life a lot faster than you can fill your way. A lot of people say, well, I have to fill it before I believe it. Now, how about you start believing it, and then you'll start seeing it. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. God says, believe it, and then you'll see it. Belief. I'm here in Allen, Texas to encourage some of you. You're not a bad person. But somewhere along the way, something happened to you accident, something went out of control, maybe it was a marriage, maybe it was a death in the family, maybe you had to bury a kid, I can't even imagine that. But I want to let you know, friend, that belief is the fact, and by the way, let me just, I feel like this is for someone in here who dealt with tragedy. I believe one of the only, this, I've been, man, I've been mentored by some of the greatest minds in the church world. One of them said this, the way that we view tragedy is, is two ways. It's we're supposed to weep, we're supposed to mourn, but we're never supposed to lose our eternal perspective. Do you know what makes tragedy way sadder? Is when you only view it from this side of eternity. You know what gives you, gives you hope? Is when you realize, okay, we are in the waiting room of real life right now. We get 80, 90 years on this side of eternity. We have forever with our kids up there. For someone here today, I just feel like that's, that someone needs to know that today. Is I'm going to believe. Second thing they did when they returned is not only did they believe, they made a decision that they had to belong. I'll be honest, there's a lot of believers in Texas. I bet you we could poll 90% of them all, and most people would say, yeah, God's real. He's there somewhere. But I actually would say this, if you were asked the same people, do you belong to a community of faith? I, I love God. I just don't like the church. I think that's offensive. 
how could you say that? Because in Revelations, it refers to Jesus in his church as a, a husband with his wife. And if I was to say, you were to say to me, Mark, you are awesome, but Rochelle is weird. We got a problem, friend. I love you, Mark, but I just don't like your weird wife. If you love Jesus and hate the church, there is a problem. Listen, I'm not justifying the fact that, that there's some weird churches. There, there has been some weirdness in churches. Can we, can I honest, amen. And I'll even take it a step further. There's some people that are filled with the Holy Spirit that are weird. But I want to make a disclaimer. They would be weird without God. Are you following me today? And what happens is we see weirdness in a church, we see weirdness in a Christian, and we write off all of it and say, I don't want any of it. I want to say this. If you've been hurt in a church, it's kind of like getting food poisoning. You might not eat for a couple days or a week, but your appetite should come back. And if I get sick at Taco Bell, I might not eat there anymore, but I will find somewhere else to feast. And if you've been hurt in a church, can I encourage you, friends, that there is no church that's perfect, but write this down, there is a church that's perfect for me. Belong. You want to return fully? You believe again? Make a decision to belong. And this is not a push to even belong in this church. I love what Pastor Dustin said. He said, our goal isn't to get everyone to our church. We just want to see people get involved in the church. This is a good church, though, by the way. You're blessed. Belong somewhere. Third thing, if you want to return all the way, is I believe that when you believe with all your heart and you begin to belong to a community of faith, you will start to become more like Jesus. Become. I think we have a lot of people that are satisfied with believing in God, but looking nothing like him. Do you know why they called the early Christians Christians? Because they literally said, these guys look like the miniature versions of Jesus. I think it's oxymoronic to say, I believe in God, but my lifestyle looks nothing like his. I don't value what he values. I don't love what he loves. I don't honor what he honors. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just saying this. I think that one of the greatest desires we can have is say, God, would you make me more like you? I want to become more like Jesus. I'm almost done. Fourth thing they do, we return, is they say, and this is where I'm going to lose some of the room, so if it gets quiet in here, it's all right. But when they return to Jerusalem, can I just make a bet? We'll see on the other side of heaven. I'll pay up then. I want to say that Cleopas and his friend were in the upper room. Not only were they in the upper room, they were involved in church planting, church building. Because you can't have an encounter like that encounter and not have a passion, number four, to want to build something. You know what we do in church a lot of times is we settle for believing. Well, I believe. Good, good starting point. Do you belong? Well, I belong. Okay, cool. Are you becoming? Well, I'm kind of becoming. Okay, good. Are you building? You know what? I want to let you know. These four Bs have changed my life. And by the way, I think that you'll become more like Jesus when you start building what Jesus builds. God told me there's some dentists in here that need to start building the kingdom of God. Build it in your dentist office. I even see you putting strategic things, reading materials, kind of like the book we just heard about, in your lobbies. I heard, I heard someone works at a sporting goods store. God said, start building my kingdom in the sporting goods store. Someone in here owns a restaurant. Start building a kingdom environment in your restaurant. I think, this, I think one of the greatest things that we can do with our lives is build what God likes to build. It's the church. Lovingly. 
I would say this, that we return when we make a decision to believe, to belong, to start to become, and say, God, I don't know what it takes, whatever it takes, I want to build. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.